Kathy Adams. Welcome back to Zen Parenting Radio. This is episode number 256. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And who doesn't want to feel outstanding? I do. I do. The best predictor of a child's well-being, sweetie, is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, it's a Brene Brown special. Mm -hmm. Who's Brene Brown? She's a researcher and storyteller. And she's an author. And an author. And a mom and a wife. Correct. And uh, we just saw her. You've seen her a bunch of times, though. Yes. And we're going to give a summary and and our takeaways yeah, I from think, last whatever. Well, the book has a lot in it, so I think we're just going to focus on one aspect of it, at least today. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I'd rather go into something that maybe you guys can practice yep. than just give you a book overview. Because I think this book is so out there. That everybody's giving a book overview. Right. Like, I think it's number one on the... Yeah, so we're going to dive deep into one section. Yes. Is that what you're saying? Yes. And then I have a few takeaways that I wanted to throw in there from our evening last Thursday. We saw her at Nutria High School. Fan. Yes. Family Action Network yes. sponsored this. Brene usually commands quite a price to even get in the door, but this was free. Well, it was free for us. Yeah. Not free for Fan. I'd rather it be free for us <laughs> and not free for Fan. <laughs> Free stuff. Thrifty, Thrifty Mix saves a lot. Likes free stuff, sweetie. Todd likes. We did have to pay a babysitter fifty bucks, though. Well, worth it. Fifty smackaroonies. Worth it. That's a lot of brewskis. I know. As my friend Jose from JVI used to say. Uh huh. Like if he would save three dollars, be like, that's that's like a that's brewski. a that's a brewski there. <laughs> <laughs> um. So let's get into it. Okay. Let's just jump right in. You want to? Leap and the net will appear, sweetie. Okay, well, I'm leaping. Well, so like Todd said, um, we saw Brene last Thursday, and she was talking about her new book, which is called Rising Strong. Um, The whole purpose of Rising Strong, or her research in regards to this book, is about understanding how to get up when you fall. Basically, after all of the other research that she did about, you know, gifts of imperfection... That was that was her second book. Um, that was really about being yourself, right? Right. Okay. Daring greatly was about being yourself and putting yourself out there. Okay. And rising strong is about if you're going to put yourself out there, if you are going to go into the arena, as Brene says, you are going to fall. You are going to have disappointment. You are going to get criticism. You are going to be challenged. And how do people? Go through that and rise again. Sweetie, you're going to have your Norm Peterson moment. What's that? Do you know who Norm Peterson is? Who's Norm Peterson? Oh, wait. I was thinking Norm was from Cheers. He is from Cheers. Oh, okay. Norm Peterson. It's when he says, uh, it's a dog-eat-dog world out there, and I'm wearing milk-bone underwear. Exactly. Remember that? No. You don't remember that? I don't really know a lot of Cliff and Norm quotes. I got to be honest. Well, that's your problem. I was a Sam Malone gal. And I continuously debate... Between Woody and Coach. I don't know who's better. You know what? This is my take on Woody and Coach. Woody is a young version of Coach. So we don't need yeah, to decide who's better because they that, were the same. That was brilliant about the writers because usually like when one person leaves, they take the opposite of, uh, you know, they kind of make a contrast. The extreme. But really all that was was Coach in a young man's body. And here's a crazy thing. And I can't remember what interview we were listening to. But when they, um, what's it? What's it called? Where they cast? Yes, when they were casting for the part of Woody mm-hmm. on Cheers, they happened to. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? That where you an actor comes in and they have to rehearse. Re- no, honey, where they have to. I can't come up with it either, but I'm getting annoyed at you. They have to play the part for a second. Yeah, they have an audition. Oh, thank you. Okay, okay, forty four. So when Woody Harrelson came in for the audition, it just so happened that the part was a guy named Woody. What are the odds? So what are the odds? So you, so people probably think, well, they decided to name the guy after Woody Harrelson. That no. was not the case. No. The guy's name was Woody. The stars were in alignment. They were. I just think that's crazy. Would you let me play about 80 seconds of the Rising Strong of trailer? You know, it's a good summary. Yeah. So then I can jump in in the middle and not have to explain. So the, I got this off of Vimeo. It's called the Rising Strong trailer. It's funny. Even books have trailers now. They do. You know what? This is... This is very common. Oh, is it? Um, The books that people know are going to um, get a lot of exposure and Mm -hmm. have a lot of publicity. Right. They do this for this reason. Yeah. You know, so. So we have something to say. Here we go. This this is Brene's voice. 
Manifesto of the Brave and Brokenhearted. There is no greater threat to the critics and cynics and fear mongers than those of us who are willing to fall because we've learned how to rise. With skinned knees and bruised hearts, we choose owning our stories of struggle over hiding, over hustling, over pretending. When we deny our stories, they define us. When we run from struggle, we are never free. So we turn toward truth and look it in the eye. We will not be characters in our stories, not villains, not victims, not even heroes. We are the authors of our lives. We write our own daring endings. We craft love from heartbreak, compassion from shame, grace from disappointment, courage from failure. Showing up is our power. Story is our way home. Truth is our song. We are the brave and brokenhearted. We are rising strong. Very good. Um, and it's more powerful with the video uh, the behind it. And, and we'll show that uh, on our show notes. But the audio is, you know, pretty effective, right? Well, and let me say something. One of the uh, comments that she makes in the book and when she's, you know, when she was speaking last week is, you know, people question the brave and brokenhearted. What do you mean the brave and brokenhearted? And when she says that, she's trying to be very honest about the fact if you're putting yourself out there and you are taking risks – just by the nature of taking risks and putting yourself out there, you're going to be brokenhearted in some way. Right. You, if you are opening yourself up to the world, then that's, that is the back and forth of being out there. Now, but her whole purpose in writing this book is let's not be so afraid of it. Yeah. And let's figure out how, when we are face down, mm-hmm. how to rise from it. And I think that's the practice of life. It's you know, it's why I love Brene's work and I'm so in admiration of what she writes about and researches is because it's everything I've ever been interested in. Right. Is the curiosity behind why we do what we do and how we do what we do and how we do it better. It's self-awareness. You know, the more we understand how we tick, how we relate to other people and how we can understand ourselves better, the more deep, fulfilling and enjoyable lives mm. we can lead. But when we are unwilling to be our true selves or put ourselves out there or take a risk or be creative, we are stunted. And that stunted is, as Elizabeth Gilbert says, and I think probably Brene, it's not benign. It eats at you. You you can say, well, I'm just not going to put myself out there and I'm going to stay safe. But see, you're not safe. Right. Because that creative impulse that lives inside of you, that lives inside of all of us, it gets, it starts to fester and eat away at you. You need to release it. You need to speak what you need to say. You need to – you came here to be yourself. Right. And if you're not being yourself, you're harming yourself. Do you see what I mean? I do. Um, you think that avoiding putting yourself in the arena, like Brene says, mm-hmm. is you can just kind of float coast. by and coast and be like, well, I won't put myself out there, but I'll still be okay. And what you're saying, it's actually detrimental to not put yourself it out eats- there you away because when you are not and and let me be clear about defining the arena because i think she did a good job redefining it in rising strong the arena is not always about putting a book out there and going on a publicity tour mm-hmm. or it's not about being becoming president of the, Uni- of the united states putting yourself in the arena means being in a relationship with someone and actually saying what you need yeah being in the, re- the arena means going into a meeting and when someone says to you, will you take on this task? You say, no, that's not the best fit for me. Or, or you're at a PTA meeting and somebody says, will you volunteer? Will you volunteer? And you begrudgingly say, yes, that's not being in the arena. Yeah, being in the, ar- the opposite being, of what it Being is. in the arena says is when you say, no, that doesn't work for me. That's being in the arena. So don't think that what you have to use these about. magnanimous, huge events that that define somebody's life that's not what we're talking about you'd be in the arena sitting in your kitchen talking to your kid exactly and the choices we make on an everyday basis the moment to moment choices we're either being in the arena or not Mm. because we're either showing up as ourselves or we're not we're either so but here's the thing that that is helpful to understand the more we show up on a moment-to-moment basis with the people we love in our own homes at our school in our community Mm -hmm. the more we can do that 
in a bigger scale, right. you know, a grander scale. If we practice in our, I don't even want to call it security because sometimes in your own home, it can be the scariest place. Sure. But if we practice with people that love us, if we practice in a place where we can re-engage that relationship constantly so we can make sure they understand us on many different levels, then we gain that sense of confidence to go out there and maybe do it in a more vocal, global way. Because a lot of us, you know, what did uh, um, Elie Wiesel say about the Holocaust? It wasn't the people who were doing the harm. It was the people who didn't say anything about the harm being done. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times we look and we blame other people and we say, look at the bad things they're doing. I would never do that. But are you doing anything that keeps that from happening? Or are you just so silent and tucked away and afraid that you are what what's the word that he uses yeah look up his quote because it's it's much more powerful than the way that i said it it's the people who are indifferent you know who kind of just i'm looking for it okay. I, I know the one you're talking about you know about. the one i'm talking about yeah and then again I, you know here i am using the holocaust and that's like the biggest thing but in our own lives you know when are we not vocal mm-hmm. about what we need when do we shut down when do we allow someone to treat us poorly instead of saying this is okay and this is not okay when do we show up for our lives and a lot of us when we were young were trained to just make everybody else feel better. Hold on one second. Instead of saying what you really need, and that childhood thing has been carried in through adulthood. I think the quote that you're thinking of is from Edmund Burke. Oh, okay. I thought it was... The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. You know what? We'll just take it because it it was... I think it was a different quote, but it's this exact same same point. Um, so I would like to, uh, um, I would like you to tell me the specific part of the book that we're going to get into. We're going to talk Brene. about the reckoning and how many different things are there with well, the reckoning. There's a lot in here. This book is actually quite dense and more than I thought, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like there's a lot of different research and commentary, but the three major parts are the reckoning, the rumble and the revolution. Okay. So before we get into that, I just okay. want to talk about our first partner, and that's uh, Dr. Kelly from the Tree of Life, Tree of Life Chiropractic Care, uh, based here in Elmhurst, Illinois. Uh, their website is chirotree.com, uh, and the number is 630-941-8733. So what is this reckoning thing? What are you okay. talking about? So reckoning, this is kind of the first step of understanding um, why we are afraid of failure and why we, or, and not even just why, how we back away from ever having the experience of failure. Okay. Okay. So let me just back up a little bit and say that reckoning, why is Brene using that word? For those of you who um, read her books or follow her work, she creates her own language, meaning she creates words to explain things in a simpler way, which I'm always very much in admiration of not just her, but anybody who can do that. Because a lot of times, um, theory and explanations are so filled with jargon Mm. that we totally miss the point. Well, the reason Brene is so great is because she's accessible to those of us who don't know diddly squat about anything, any research stuff or science stuff. Exactly. We get deep concepts because she uses accessible language. So reckon, it comes from the Middle English word reckoning, Mm -hmm. or maybe it's just pronounced reckon. (laughs) I don't know. It's uh, spelled R-E-K-E-N-E-N, middle English word. And that means to narrate or make an account. So for what she means by reckoning is engaging with our feelings and getting curious about the story behind the feelings, what emotions we are experiencing, how they're connected to our thoughts and behaviors. Now, you know, obviously Todd and I love this because everything that we believe in is emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. The The bottom line of emotional intelligence, it's not just about understanding how other people take. You first have to understand your own emotions and how and why you have emotional experiences, right. why you're triggered. Get to the source. And when, you know, one of my favorite things that I, for myself, and I think I mentioned on a show recently, is when I am triggered by Todd, by a neighbor by something at school, by an email. When I first get annoyed, I'm just annoyed and I'm stuck in it. But then the next step that that comes sometimes 10 minutes later or a day later is, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Why am I so pissed off? 
because... And that's your vehicle to go from sitting in the emotion to actually recognizing that it's there, why it's there, and how to learn from it. Becoming, you know, curious about it. Mm -hmm. Like, what is that? And where does that come from? And why is that hitting me so much harder than maybe something that could be deemed as worse two weeks ago? So this is, I think, our job. You know, when I talk to kids about and adults about personal responsibility, it is your responsibility to understand your emotions and to figure out why things are bothering you. Right. It's not the rest of the world's, you know, responsibility to not bug you. Right. Because we all get bothered by different things. Yeah. Bothered. Bothered. Yeah, we all bug each other. Yes. We all bug each other. Spouses, coworkers, and the trick is how do you manage that? But we all get bugged for different reasons. Mm-hmm. The things that bug... And we don't all have signs on our face saying, this is what my trigger is. Please don't say this to me. This yes. is my trigger. So... And here's something else that's interesting, um, and I got this from her book. Um, October 214, uh, 214, 2014 issue of uh, Neuron Journal. It's a journal. I love that. It's my favorite journal. (laughs) It is not. Yeah. Um, Suggests that the brain's chemistry changes when we become curious, and that helps us learn. Mm. So the more, so, you know, this makes sense, right? When you're curious about something, everything, the chemicals in your brain get going and you can learn better. You can actually acquire knowledge right. better. Okay. But it can also be really uncomfortable when we're curious because being curious lacks certainty and makes us vulnerable. Because see, if I'm curious about why you trigger me, I have to go deep inside and look at where Maybe old history that yeah. I don't want to look at. Childhood stuff. It may it may dictate me looking at myself and saying, oh, wait, the reason I'm annoyed at him is because I want to be right. And I really just have a big ego and right. I need to be right all the time. So do you see it, it? We like our stories of why you're wrong and I'm right. Well, the one thing I remember from Brene's talk is, um, what's the quote? I think I have it in here. In the absence of data, we will make up stories. For sure. So what that means is... If we don't have all the information, we'll fill in the spots that probably serve ourselves more than looking at the truthfulness of whatever the situation is. And what she said, which on top of that quote, is when we find a pattern, like we don't have enough information, but we start to like fill in the story and it starts to make sense to our brain, we get a dopamine release Mm -hmm. because we've somehow found a pattern. Yeah, our brain wants to connect dots. But here's the thing, that pattern and that story created may not be true. Right. So we're looking for the dopamine release of, oh, he said that because he doesn't like the way I look. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's judging me because he doesn't like what I did. That may not be true, but our brain is comfortable with yeah. that story. Yeah. Check it off the list. Check it off the list. Okay. So what we're going to do and what we're going to discuss are these five things that are the reckoning with our emotion. Like these are the things that we do to not reckon with our emotion. And each of them have a way to look at emotion differently. So so the the majority of what we're going to talk about today are the five things regarding the reckoning. Right. Because again, the reckoning is about engaging with our feelings and becoming curious about our feelings. Got it. So these are the things that we do instead. Got it. Got so it? instead of figuring out the source of my triggers, instead I do... I do number one, the first one, chandeliering. Chandeliering. What does that mean? Do you remember the story she told? Uh, I would have to piece it together. Okay. So the story she told in a nutshell, and she tells it in the book as well, is that her um, husband is is a pediatrician. And he was looking at this girl's finger. She had hurt her finger in a field hockey, you know, tournament. And he he went to touch her finger. You mm-hmm. know, she was like, oh, it's fine. It's fine. But he went oh, to yeah. touch it. Right. And she screamed. Yeah. Like, ah! And he said, it's exquisitely tender. Right? Mm-hmm. Is that the word Right. That's used? the language that yeah. doctors choose to use with one another yes. when describing somebody who is chandeliering. And she kind of, and Brene kind of made fun of him for that language, like exquisitely tender, you know, like, and I think it was tender. It's exquisitely something. And then he said, actually, doctors also use the word chandelier mm-hmm. on a, um, you know, on the their the, chart yeah. because chandelier indicates that when you touch their finger, they like hit the chandelier. Yeah. They hit the ceiling. Yeah, it's not a brain res- response. It's a response like, my goodness, this hurts so bad. I just, Hit the roof. Yeah. 
Now, and again, so Brene made that into her own word, chandeliering. Right. And her husband kept saying, no, that's not what we say. Don't mess with my (laughs) medical words. But she said, no, chandeliering. So basically what that means is that somebody who has packed their hurt over their lifetime or in their daily experience, they've packed it way, way, way down. Like they think, you know, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm just packing this hurt away. But some kind of off, you know, knock it. What is the word? Innocuous? Innocuous. I said it. Nice job. Innocuous comment can throw them to the chandelier. Right. Like you think, you know, you're just having a normal conversation. You're saying something really benign. And all of a sudden they just hit the roof. Right. And why this is tough. (laughs) First of all, it's tough for the person who's chandeliering because they're going from zero to 60. Right. They think they've packed their hurt down, but really their hurt is right there. Yeah, it's a raw nerve. Exquisitely tender. They haven't dealt with it. And so everybody around them has to walk on eggshells. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like... Do you, not you, I'm asking our audience, do you guys have people in your life that you need to walk on eggshells with? Yeah, we do. I think we all probably do, right? we do. And... It's a bummer because it's hard to connect with someone when you're worried about their response to everything you're going to say. Because I would say, I'm going to say, I'll just speak for myself, 99% of the time, maybe even 99.9% of the time, I am not ever saying something to someone to harm them. Right. Is that, and I'm I'm saying 99% of the time because sometimes I might be in a bad mood or I might be saying like I want to, you know, make them aware that they should feel guilty. Right. You know, I'm human. Those things happen. But especially if I'm having a conversation with people outside my own home, there's no way I would be trying to hurt you. Mm. That just would not be my way of communicating. But these people who are chandeliering, you can say something really low key like oh well you know it sounds like you're tired i'm not tired yeah all the, the response does not correspond with the stimulant it yeah. is something is benign or the intention was not even close to there but it's as if you just screamed at them from with the top of your lungs and you're like why is this happening and it's probably because there's some all root cause that you don't know about and really it's the root cause is all these belief systems they have about themselves mm-hmm. that all of these emotional experiences that they've had that they've packed down have reaffirmed for them. I'm not good enough. Um, I am not enough. I am not lovable. I am not, I am worthless. And anything we say, even if it has nothing to do with anything, somehow triggers that in them and they throw all the anger out at you. So it's like a, let's just leave it at the eggshell thing because Mm -hmm. I think everybody can relate to that is Now you have terminology to understand someone who's not dealing with their emotions and becoming curious about their emotions. You know that that's happening with them if they're the person that goes from zero to 60. They have, and again, to be compassionate human beings is, of course, Todd and I always want to make sure that we're focusing on that, is they have so much packed down hurt that they, everything is tender. Right. And they just hurt and just touching their skin causes them pain so instead of us saying gosh what a jerk in that moment they're kind of jerky yeah have some do your best to you know have the strength to have some empathy or compassion because you know they're not trying to be jerks they're basically in pain they're in pain and they're giving you what they got which is more pain they're giving you what they got all right number two bouncing hurt Bouncing hurt. Okay, so so this is a great quote that um, that I thought was really important. Uh, the ego, we all know what the ego is, right? Has a shame based fear of being ordinary. Okay, isn't that the truth, you guys? I mean, don't we all have this feeling of um, that being ordinary is the worst possible thing? Like, I remember being at a conference a year or so ago, and the speaker is Kristen Neff, who talks about self-compassion all the time. She said something like, the worst thing in her research that she found is calling someone average, that they had more of a response to that Hmm. than being called a jerk. Wow. Nobody wants to be ordinary. Everybody wants to be special. Right. And now I believe, but you got to follow me with this language, I believe everybody is special. But not special, meaning you're better than everybody else. Right. But that you all have, because that's the thing is when we take the word special, we think that means in a competition, we're number one in their 10. Relative to somebody else. Exactly. The truth is we are all special and the competitive nature isn't even necessary in my viewpoint. Right. I mean, I know it's fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Football, blah, blah, blah. I know. I, I don't want to say competition's a bad thing when it's done with some understanding of play. 
But when it's Sweetie, just... what did you think of the talent show this weekend? <laughs> Tell that story real quick. Well, this was interesting. Um, so we were at family camp this weekend with our kids, this place we love. Um, and it's just great because you're basically camping with your kids and there's all these other families and, you know, it's great. So the last night there's a talent show. And in the talent show, everybody did such a good job. And it was all relative because there was children, adults, you yeah. know, music, you know, dancing, all that kind of stuff. And at the very end, the people who were running it decided, I think it was kind of off the cuff, that they were going to do this thing where you clapped for whoever you liked the most. Right. And we were all kind of looking around each other like, how can... So basically you have two acts in front of you, both of be- both being no, very good. all the acts. All of them were in we front? We had to initially... No, they didn't put them all in front. We initially had to clap for all the acts, and then they narrowed it down to oh, two. Oh, got it. And we were all kind of uncomfortable with the whole thing. So once they narrowed it down to two... Then they brought them on stage, and they and we were all still... And when I'm saying we all, I can't speak for everybody, but we were all kind of looking around at each other mm-hmm. like, ooh, let's not make this a competition. And then he put the two acts on stage, and he said, okay, we're going to clap again. And the audience, we started... Because the, the prize was an acorn. Mm-hmm. You know, great pri- prize. Yeah, well, it was fun. You know, we were in the woods. We kept saying three acorns because it was two girls who danced and then one girl who sang. So right. there were, you know, two girls and one girl. And we kept saying three acorns. Give them three acorns. And the guy was great. He was like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a really democratic decision. Yeah, you, you guys all get acorns. Right. But there was such a feeling from the crowd that we don't need to compete against each other. Not with this. Not with this. This is like us. There were kids going up on that stage who were so brave. Yeah. I, there's a place for competition. And this one wasn't, you know, it's a talent competition at a family camp over Labor Day weekend. It's apples and oranges, too. Yeah. You're talking about people who have been playing music their whole lives and a child who has just sang in front of you for the first time. Yeah. We can't. And that's the thing. It's not a level playing field, It's sweetie. not level. And sometimes competition is so in ingrained mm-hmm. in us that we think that that's the way we complete it complete any kind of show or whatever when we can open up to there's many other ways and that someone can feel good about what they did regardless of how it related to the other acts right so anyway that 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 quote the ego has a shame-based fear of being ordinary is part of bouncing hurt and this is why because the whole concept of bouncing hurt is the belief system of that person is that any kind of feelings mm-hmm. are for losers and weaklings. Right. Who does that sound like to you right now in the news? Uh, Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Yeah. Anytime someone says anything to him, he calls them losers and weaklings. Yeah. His belief system, and I'm not even going to get political. I'm just talking about what he's put out there. Right. He is saying, if you criticize me, you're a loser. If you well, get he has upset a show something, that, then the catch line is you're fired. So, I mean, it gives you an idea of that's his, belief his outlook. System. Yeah. And that's a form of bouncing your own pain is when you attack me, you're a loser. Right. The whole concept behind it is that we shame others for their lack of emotional control. We are annoyed at other people like, oh, my God, I can't believe that kid is crying. What a loser. Mm-hmm. When we all as human beings have the need to cry. It's part of our natural way of releasing our emotion, right? But we have socked ours down, the bouncing hurt people, so far. And I was still asleep. <laughs> For when my hand was holding hers, she whispered words and I awoke. And faintly bouncing around the room, the echo of whomever spoke. So what do you think fish were thinking about Brene Brown when they wrote this song? No, but this is my favorite fish song. Sweetie, isn't Fish like the best band ever? No. Why not? <laughs> I love this song, though. Yeah, it is. I like the live version. That's what... We're running behind, so I have to stop this song, even though I don't want to. We're dancing, though. Plus, I don't think we could play very much of it, otherwise we'll get sued. Yeah, let's not get in trouble. All right, one more quick part. I see them through a crystal haze. Okay. Let's move on to the number three. Well, can I just finish bouncing I know, but we're 30 minutes in. We've got like 10 minutes left. Sweetie, you got to let go. We don't have 10 minutes left. You want to have an hour podcast? We're going to just roll with it. it. I'm simply trying to give you, as the producer of this podcast, a frame of where we are. You know what will make you feel feel better? The last two are very simple and quick. Okay, good. So these carry the most. I just want people to understand this because if we just like say this is what it is without context – it it doesn't mean anything. Plus, my song will help them remember. Bounce remember. So I'll try to come up with another song for the next and one. And I have to admit, because I really, I love that song. And there was a few other fish songs. But 
I don't go see fish just because I'm not a jam band gal. No, you're not. <laughs> I'm not. I just kind of want you to sing the song. And Sweetie, that's your problem. <laughs> no. Okay. Anyway, so basically when we get – when you are a bouncing hurt person and you get close to experiencing something that's emotional, like you start to feel like, ooh, I'm going to get some, some feelings are coming, some tears are coming to my eyes, you go to anger, blame, and avoidance. You either get mad about feeling that way, like, oh, stop it. Mm-hmm. You start to blame and say, you're not going to do this to me. Mm-hmm. Or you avoid it completely and you So walk away. this is a subset of the bouncing. These are three ways we bounce well, back. The, we, the way we bounce hurt yeah. is by using anger, anger blame, and, and avoidance. Resen- okay. Um, so not resentment, but we avoid avoidance. it altogether. Got it. And so it's kind of, I kind of look at bouncing hurt as people who are way too cool to feel emotion. You're too school for cool. Exactly. I think we should close with that song. Do you? Yeah. I just right. enjoyed starting with we'll that. We'll see. So um, we, we, instead of feeling, we put those things out there and everybody knows somebody who, when you start to have an emotional experience, they get angry. You know, you should parents do this a lot. All the time. You know, you, the, their child is making them feel something mm. and they get pissed. Mm. They start to blame. Or even if they don't blame their child, they blame outside of their child. Like, I'm going to get that teacher or I'm going to, instead of dealing with the way we're feeling. Right. Okay. So does that feel concise? I think I enough? got it. Okay. Number three is easy. Number three. Numbing. Numbing. Remember? I do. I'm, I'm a master of numbing, sweetie. So with numbing... Basically what we're doing, and if you've read any other Brene's books, you know this, or basically anybody who talks about not feeling our emotions is the fact that we shut them down with things like food, uh, sex, um, shopping, a glass of wine at the end of the day. Uh, We basically try to not feel our experience. Just like this. Just a basic fact. songs out there sweetie i love this song sweetie this is all for you i'm playing these songs for you i love it okay and i'm a master number yes you are i'm i'm better at not numbing out though you are so much better every day that goes by i get a little less nummy you do um you used to be this is uh, years ago um, and first of all, I will say that Todd's always been a kind person, so that's never been an issue. But you were somewhere between the bouncing hurt and the, the numbing mm-hmm. because you would avoid it. Mm-hmm. Um, or you would say, let's just move on to something else. Right. Um, or let's, you Because know. it's heavy for me. Like sometimes, and this doesn't happen anymore, but early in our marriage, you'd want to have a big talk about something heavy and it would just completely drain me. And I'd be like, let's... To change the subject. That well, would be avoidance. It right? would be. And the other avoidance behavior that you have that you still display sometimes, but I try to cut you a lot of slack because I think that our conversations are so in-depth that you deserve this. You fall asleep. Yeah. <laughs> and when I say fall asleep, I don't mean at night. I mean, Todd and I have a deep talk and then he will fall asleep. His head will just go back on the couch and he's out. Yeah. So I don't even know. I don't even know if it's fair for me to say that's avoidance because I think that's your energy. You are working so hard to do what we just did. Mm-hmm. Or if you get bad news, like from your family, or you're overwhelmed by something, you fall asleep very quickly. Oh yeah, I've had some major uh, crisis in my life, and you know my. my coping mechanism is sleep and not like it's a decision to sleep. It's not like, Oh, I think I'm going to sleep. I, I remember when something heavy in my life happened, I slept like, I don't know, like I usually sleep six hours, something like that. And I was sleeping like 12 or 13 it was, hours. It was like bordering on depression, Yeah, you know, like where you were like, I'd rather be, I'd rather be asleep, asleep than yeah. be awake. Yeah. That's so true. So numbing, first of all, I have to say that all of us numb at some point, yep. we all, you know, if, for those of you who eat or for those of you who say, I got to have a glass of wine at the end of the day, my kids are driving me crazy. For those of you that, you know, I see people on Facebook saying retail therapy, that's numbing, mm-hmm. you know, in even. Even though I'm not criticizing the choice. Retail therapy is when people go shopping because yeah. they don't feel good. Yeah. The, or they'll, they'll have a bad day and they'll go retail therapy. Like yeah. I'm going to go buy stuff. Yeah. That's a form of numbing. I don't want to feel this way. I don't so, want to be curious about how I feel. So I'm going to go shop. So what's the difference between having a glass of wine to relax after dinner and having a glass of wine to numb out? Well, I think that any kind of behavior is, you know, it's kind of like talking about numbing in terms of negative and kind of how lucky we are to have little numbing behaviors. Mm -hmm. Like, 
numbing with alcohol is when we can't that whole when we say I can't deal with this and then we open a bottle of wine. I mean, mm-hmm. in every movie, yeah. don't you see, yeah. you know, I swear on The Good Wife, for those of you who watch The Good Wife along with me, every time, you know, Alicia, Alicia has a bad day, she comes home and opens a bottle of red wine. There's a numbing going on versus if you're just sitting down to dinner and your day has been pretty great and, you know, it's been average or whatever. And you're like, yeah, I like red wine with my dinner. That's a very different decision. Do you think it's better to at least admit the fact that you are escaping any emotional work with the glass of wine? Because I think there's probably some people that have a few glasses of wine and don't even admit to themselves that they don't want to deal with whatever they're feeling. Well, as we know, numbing behaviors, if we were to go deep into this, this is what goes to addiction. So when there are when you are chronically and compulsively numbing, you become an addict. Mm-hmm. So there's numbing behaviors that are inconsistent every once in a while, you know, kind of human behaviors, you know, like I definitely have a thing of um, you know, I'm having a tough day. I would love a piece of chocolate cake. Yeah. And I don't always do it, but the feeling comes up for sure. me, you know, and so that's a numbing behavior and, you know, whatever. But when we start to chronically and compulsively, every time we have a negative experience, every time someone pisses us off, we go straight for that thing and we don't even consider right. that that may not be a good choice. That's when something becomes an addiction. Right. And once something becomes an addiction, our whole, our brain, our nervous system, everything starts to lose sight of what's happening. Well, and one of the things that Brene said, and I, I'm sure this is further in the book and we don't, we're not going to get to it today, but one of the ways to deal with some of these things is mindfulness. Absolutely. And her very brief definition of mindfulness, which I thought was a good one because it's so simple, is pay attention. Yeah. And that means pay attention to what's going on around you mm-hmm. and pay attention to what's going inside. So to to talk more about what Todd just said, one of the things that she found in her research, and this won't be a surprise to anybody because we know this via research, is that how do people get through these things? Breathing, mindfulness. Yeah. And obviously those things are connected, but they aren't really synonymous. Right. Um, mindfulness, like Todd said, is pay attention. What is a way that we can help pay attention? Breathing. Mm-hmm. And so there's this whole concept of she talked you know she talked about in her uh, last Thursday she was saying that just seeing a slide that says mindfulness bugs her yeah because she's never been a big fan of that kind of woo-woo thing but there is truth this is research now we know this and even without the research you know it in your own body right you know when you're paying attention that you are not lost in your story yeah you know that when you take a breath you make better choices after the after that breath mm-hmm. so you can do this in your own life without seeing it in a research journal yeah. but it really does help when she gives us that and and the people she works with i also want to say this um she's worked with so many people and she does a lot of research with veterans and um special ops yeah and so she works with a lot of people who are in literal crisis situations not crisis like oh someone doesn't like my outfit but crisis like life and death life and death yeah and i don't i'm not trying to minimize someone doesn't like my outfit because those things are painful and they can hurt in the moment but she's trying to work with people who are dealing with those life and death things so she can take that and use it for every other aspect of life right so numbing so and let me also say to finish up numbing as you know todd being busy Mm -hmm. is a form of numbing. Mm, I love being busy. Sometimes when we throw out things like alcohol, food, sex, drugs, video games, people are like, oh yeah, those, those are all bad things. I don't do that. If you are constantly filling up your life with things and you are afraid of white space on your calendar, mm-hmm. that is another version of numbing. Yeah. I think that I'm addicted to productivity. Yeah. Yeah. I think we all are a little bit, but yes. I have some friends that are definitely not addicted to productivity, sweetie. <laughs> I won't name names, but they are not addicted to they productivity. They go the other way. They yeah. numb with other things. They're addicted to underproductivity. Well, one of my favorite quotes that, again, helps me keep this in mind is that being busy is the new status symbol. Uh-huh. And if you ever ask somebody, how are you doing? Oh, we're good, but oh, we're, oh, we're just so busy. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't work if you say to someone, how are you doing? You say, you know, great. This weekend we had nothing going on. Actually, I do say that a lot. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a comment I would say. But um, – you know, to say, oh, yeah, we were kind of bored yesterday. We are so offended by that. Yeah. Like, well, then you need to be doing more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, that's a projection thing because really we're just, we wish we had more of that. Right. Right. Um, so, anyway, good. Yep. Number four, stockpiling hurts. Before we go to number four, oh. um, can you, uh, once again, these, there's five things five here. Things. And these five things are the reckoning, and they are about engaging with our feelings and getting curious. And they are chandeliering, bouncing hurt, numbing, 
And now we're going on to stockpiling hurt. Stockpiling. Okay. Stockpiling hurt means that we have had so much pain over the course of our lifetime. And when I say so much pain, it doesn't have to be like the, the most horrible childhood trauma. It's just experiences, consistent traumas where we felt hurt or unseen or unheard. We stockpile it. We suck it down. We swallow it. And then at some point, usually around late 30s, mid 40s, you know, anywhere between like 39 and 50 something or our body starts to break down. Mm -hmm. We've stockpiled the hurt and our body has a memory and it says, I can't do this anymore. We start to get things like migraines. We start to get arthritis. We start to, our knees start to go out. Our hips start to go out. Um, And a lot of people say, no, that's just old age. You guys, it doesn't have to be like some of these things can be connected to genetics. Yes. But we also know through research now, this is not just us this saying is science. this. This is science that our body and our mind are connected. So the experiences that our mind has and the trauma that we incur is held in the body. Mm-hmm. That breaks us down physical, right. physically. Yeah. So these are physiological experiences. And we know this from the simple thing. You're stressed, you can get ulcers. You feel overwhelmed, you can get a headache. These are all things in our mind. And the thing is, when we're kids or whatever, in our 20s and 30s, our body can handle this. And we don't think that we're doing anything detrimental to our body. But eventually, things are going to catch up it with catches us. Up and like, you know, like we were just saying, this usually happens around the age that you and I are. And don't you feel like not with ourselves for sure. Like I still deal with headaches. Mm-hmm. Your knee mm-hmm. was totally giving you a hard time. Your, your shoulder, yep. remember? Yep. And again, a lot of this is use, but it's also a lifetime of things coming up and showing themselves. Well, and I don't, I don't know what the statistic is. And I want to talk about this on our, when we do our Zen Parenting Conference in March, because I want to talk about, you know, being a man, but um, there is a, some statistic where like X amount of percentage of men are lonely by the time they're 65 years oh, old. That's sad. And I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, what decisions they make, whether how they deal with their emotions or their relationships. And there's no outlet for these men. And it's at least the majority um, describe themselves as lonely people. Well, let's break this down very quickly with what Brene teaches in this book and the others. Men have a hard time being vulnerable, right? Correct. They have a hard time sharing yep. themselves. How do we connect and relate to people on the deepest level? Um, talking to them? Vulnerability. Yeah. That is the way we connect and find intimacy. Right. And men are not given the permission, permission to be vulnerable. So by the time they're that age... Yeah. And they've had all this disconnection. Yeah, you can't just snap your finger and say, okay, I'm going to be start being vulnerable. That's like right. Our path has, is set. Not that you can't get off that path, but it, the longer you wait, the harder it becomes it to becomes get off. It's difficult. And you can't even see, because a lot of times I think with men especially is the bouncing hurt. Mm-hmm. They think that anybody who is showing emotion is weak and they're losers and they use a lot of anger and blame and avoidance. Yep. And so when they've been doing that bouncing hurt their whole lives, mm-hmm. they once they're 65, they can't even... It, they they can see another way, like you said, always hope. Yeah. Um, but it's difficult. Yeah. And they've already they're already feeling that sense of disconnection and loneliness. Right. So the last one, Todd. Ready? Last but not least. Fear of high centering. Okay. Okay. Do you know what high centering is? I do now because I heard what she had to say. Okay. The best description, I think, is what she uses in her book, is that She was driving through a parking lot one day with her daughter, and she was kind of aimlessly going through the parking lot, and she ended up taking her car over a median, Mm -hmm. where the median, or it it was a parking thing. What's that called? Yeah, the concrete barrier. The concrete barrier. And so her car was up on the concrete barrier. She couldn't go backwards. She couldn't go forwards. She was Mm high-centered. Now, how that relates to emotion is that we feel that if we start feeling our feelings and becoming curious about them, we'll get high centered, we'll get stuck. Because once you start talking to someone about your emotions, you can't take it back. It's already been said. And you're afraid if you go forward, you don't know where you're going to end up. Right. I mean, how many people have you, or you can probably relate to this yourself. How many of you have felt like if you start feeling your feelings, you don't know how it's going to stop. Yeah. Once I start, I can't stop. And I think that happens for men is like we get on that edge and we pull back real quick because we don't know where it's going to stop. I think that this is especially specific to men. And I also think it's very specific to middle schoolers. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you why. I remember being in middle school 
and having experiences where I just exploded emotionally, there was sadness or anger, and realizing I could never take that back, Mm -hmm. that forever my friends or maybe people who weren't very good friends could use it against me. Does that make sense? Like they could bring it up and be like, remember that time you felt this way or, oh, Kathy gets so upset about this. And I learned in middle school, unfortunately, to not show any kind of weakness that way because it could be quote unquote used against me. It couldn't be pulled back. So when I was given an opportunity to be honest, I would sometimes get stuck in that paralyzed in that high centered place where I'm like, if I go forward, I might lose it. And if I really tell you what's going on, I can't go backwards and change it. So I agree with you about the men, and I also agree this is how, like, pre-adolescent kids feel a Mm -hmm. lot. Yeah. Um, So, Toddy, that's it. That's it. Those are the five things we do. These are the reckoning. These are the things we don't do. Right. Instead of dealing with our feelings, we chandeliering, bouncing hurt, numbing, stockpiling our hurt, and we have a fear of high centering. So these are the challenges against engaging with our feelings. Um, if you can see yourself in one or several of them, um, then you're ready for the next phase, which is the rumble, which Ooh. we don't have so time to talk about. So this is one. This is one step, baby. One part. This of is one Brene's part. Work exactly, and I think this is the most important because this is a self awareness piece. Mm. You have to see yourself. You have to take responsibility for yourself before you make a change. Right. And it's. Just quite important. Mike. You ready for my center song? Go. And headed for home. It's a brown eyed handsome man. Anyone center field, sweetie. You're, you're shaking your head at me. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. Today. You didn't clap. You don't have to clap when you're supposed to. You can clap whenever you want. Sweet, it's Fogarty. It is Fogarty, and it's a great song about the beautiful game of baseball. That's called Put Me In Coach. It's not called, oh, I can play center field. Okay, I got it. The name of the song is Center Field. Don't be, don't be. But it probably has parentheses, Put Me In Coach, right? No, I'm looking at an iTunes right now. It's just called Center Field. Isn't that, that could be a, a tournament of bad when a song has a title, and then in parentheses, it's called something else. Pride in the Name of Love. Yeah. Why not just call it what you call it? Or do what Billy Corgan does and just name it something that has nothing hey, to do hey, with the hey, song. Hey, 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 I love Billy. I just No, you don't. What, what's muzzle? Does he say muzzle? No. Okay. But as long as you say that, we might as well play a little clip of that song because it's so awesome. I just don't think he says the things that he names his song. But there's got to be a reason, a personal reason, right? Of course. He, he feels muzzled. This is called muzzle. Okay, I'm doing the two-finger air drum. I know, not as cool as mine. Um, so we're going to promote three things. Okay, let's hear it. Um, I'll take the first one. You take the second one. I'll take the third one. Okay. Uh, September 30th is International Podcast Gratitude Day. Oh. Or no, International Podcast Day. But there, we're up for an award, sweetie. Yay. And the way we win the award is okay. if our listeners give us a review on iTunes. And it's not... Right now? Uh, between now and September 30th. So it started now. It started like a week ago. <gasps> Give us a review. And if we win, we get an engraved plaque. <gasps> and Where who will does we put it? it? I don't know. <laughs> so, and it's not about the number of reviews. It's more about, um, it's an expression of gratitude to how the podcast has impacted the listener or. Oh, that's lovely. Yes. Yeah, so do that. So that's the first so, thing. Wait a second. Let me get this clear. Cause I did not know about this. We are up for an award. Yes. What's it called? Uh, International Podcast Day Gratitude Award. Okay, so people And it's not like we had to fight for it. All we had to do is submit our podcast. Ah, okay. We didn't have to fight for our right. So people just need to go put in an iTunes review. Right, and they will help us win a plaque. Nice. So that's the first thing. Yes. What's yours? What are you going to promote? Because I got one more. Oh, um, I'm going to promote the fact that um, it is time. It is the time of the season where I am taking... um, I'm doing presentations or I'm getting presentations on my calendar. So I kind of fill up my fall and winter calendar now. Um, So if you need someone for your conference or your school or your organization, please get in touch with me now. How do they get in touch with you, Um, sweetie? Good question. You can go to um, zenparentingradio.com and do the contact page 
or um, email us at comments at zenparentingradio.com. Correct. Or Facebook. Mm-hmm. You can message me. There's just find me. And um, I also have kathycadams.com. Okay. And I'm doing a uh, seven session class, Zen Finance class, uh, based on an amazing personal financial management book uh, called Money Master the Game by Tony Robbins. I have four people signed up. Yay. There's still about six spots left. Uh, it starts in a few short weeks. All the information will be on the events page on zenparentingradio.com. And I'm looking forward to it. Last week I said it wasn't on. I changed my mind. It's on and it's going to be good. And uh, I can't wait for this to happen. Right. And you know what else, Toddy? What's that? We have an Instagram account now. Oh, we do? Yes. And it's fun. I'm just learning Instagram. My children think it's hilarious that we have an Instagram account because all their friends have one. That's right. But if you are an Instagram person, Zen Parenting Radio, uh, just follow us and we post lots of pictures. And um, last but not least is uh, John Kelly, our comprehensive dentist. He's our partner and the website is chicagodentistonline.com. So check him out over there. And then um, that's it. We'll see you guys next week. Have a great week. And we have a little outro, so stay tuned. We're going to do a little bit of more stuff on the outro. More info. More info. Adios. Bye. That's our show, friends. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt outstanding. And if you want to continue feeling this outstanding, go to zenparentingradio.com and subscribe to the podcast. You can also subscribe via iTunes. And while you're there, feel free to give us a kind review. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. To reach us, you can send us a message at comments at zenparentingradio.com, or you can record a voice message through our website and ask any question you want. Go to Amazon or our website to find Kathy's first two books and her most recent award-winning book, Living What You Want Your Kids to Learn, The Power of Self-Aware Parenting. You can also subscribe to her Practicing Realness blog for her most up-to-date writing. If you're interested in the tribe, the men's group that I co-facilitate, go to thetribemensgroup.com. We're grateful for your support and encouragement. We only ask that you give the same to yourself and the people you love most. Until next time.